You're listening to the Ayn Rand Institute Live podcast series. Behind the Scenes, Ayn Rand on What Makes a Hero, with Ilan Giorno and Tom Bowden. Today we're releasing a rare interview with Ayn Rand and Mickey Spillane, conducted by Mike Wallace. It's an extraordinary conversation that has not been broadcast since the 1960s. In less than 30 minutes, that interview will be premiered here on YouTube, and we hope you'll stay with us for the watch party. As we count down to that, we'll tell you about how that interview came about, about how two such different authors came to admire each other's work and become friends. We'll take you behind the scenes and sketch in some of the historical backdrop for this conversation. I'm Ilan Jerno, and with me today is my colleague, Tom Bowden. We're delighted to be with you today. Here at the Ayn Rand Institute, we work to make people aware of Ayn Rand's ideas, encourage them to read her work, and engage with her philosophy. We're continually working to find and acquire the rights to interviews that Ayn Rand appeared in. She appeared in many over the years, and we're eager to make them easily and widely available here on YouTube. You can find many others on our YouTube channel, and I encourage you to go and explore that. Tom, let's set the scene for the conversation with Mickey Spillane and Ayn Rand. So I expect a lot of people watching or listening to us today know that Ayn Rand is the author of The Fountainhead, Atlas Shrugged. She's the originator of uh, the philosophy of objectivism, and she's, she's a big and growing cultural presence even today. Tell us a bit about Mickey Spillane. How big a deal was he? What, what should we know about him going in? Well, yeah, you're in for a real treat. you know. So this is a, a joint interview that Mike Wallace did with... Ayn Rand and Mickey Spillane in 1961. Very rare that Ayn Rand would ever want to be interviewed or allow herself to be interviewed with somebody else. And it's a token of how much admiration she felt for Mickey Spillane that she was willing to, to share the stage with him in effect, because she was, she was out to defend him. And the whole theme that I want you to keep in mind as you're watching this video is really is justice. Ayn Rand was, uh, wanted to do justice to Mickey Spillane and Mickey Spillane himself was a crusader for justice, as uh, as is the title of the, uh, I think, of the uh, uh, video lecture that Professor Shoshana Milgram has just published on YouTube. It was given at one of our recent conferences. Uh, Professor Milgram has uh, uh, done a lot of research and is really the authority on this, uh, this whole uh, aspect of Ayn Rand's life. So, you know, Mickey Spillane today in 2022, he's uh, uh, not, uh, uh, you know, that well-known or that popular. But in, uh, in 1961, when this interview was conducted, um, the preceding decade had been a decade of huge uh, Mickey Spillane sales. So uh, the first Mike Hammer novel, which was uh, I, the Jury, I think I've got a, a copy of it here, um, uh, 1947. Uh, here's this hard-boiled uh, private detective, Mike Hammer, who's, who thirsts for justice and lets nothing stop him. Uh, this book went on to become a huge bestseller, uh, followed by five or six more uh, Mike Hammer novels. So Spillane was selling millions and millions of copies of these books in the late uh, 40s and early 50s. And we don't know exactly when Ayn Rand read these books, but it was probably when they came out. This was the time, if you know something about Ayn Rand's life, she was writing Atlas Shrugged. So she she was not a public person really in the years from say 19 or mid 1940s to 1957 when she published that book. 
she was closeted in her study and she was working on this book. Uh, but she was reading. She read for recreation and she read for professional edification. So she read these books and she admired something. She admired uh, the literary uh, uh, virtues of, of Mickey Spillane as, as portrayed in the Mike Hammer character. And, and again, this was, this was a character who uh, was, he was a genuine hero in the self, sense that he was self-confident. He, he knew what needed to be done from a moral point of view, and he, he, he pursued that goal, uh, trusting to his own judgment. Um, uh, so Mickey Spillane was this publishing phenomenon who was simultaneously disdained and hated by the critics. So if you looked in the Saturday Review of Literature, for instance, which was a... Uh, an authoritative source. In 1951, one of his books, uh, the reviewer said, fair warning, there's a new book by Mickey Spillane. It may rank as the best Spillane, which is the faintest praise this department has ever bestowed. Okay. The New York Times uh, described his book in the same year, described one of his books as overheated, unbelievable, disorganized, and preoccupied with violence for violence's sake. So there was this gulf, this chasm between the literati, between the opinion leaders, the reviewers and the other authors uh, and Mickey Spillane. He was disdained, even as the public bought his books by the millions, uh, the culture uh, hated and derided him. He had nobody to defend him for this decade, this first decade of his career until Ayn Rand came along. And that's, that's the beauty of what you're about to see. So we have is someone who is so in contemporary terms, like it seems like a counterpart would be someone like JK Rowling in terms of the number of books sold, maybe not numerically identical, but a huge well-known uh, author, maybe like a John Grisham in the 1980s or 1990s. You couldn't go anywhere without seeing a John Grisham book on you know, book stands in the airport and so on. So he's, he's a phenomenon. And yet, as you were saying that there was a, uh, disdain for him. So there's the, the intellectual authorities looked down on Spillane. So I want to just pull on that thread a little bit before we get to the actual premiere in about uh, 20 minutes. So tell us a bit about when, in what context did Ayn Rand sort of initially talk about Spillane that we, we know. So we don't know necessarily when she actually started reading him, but we do know a little bit, and, and as you mentioned in uh, Shoshana Milgram's piece that's coming, there's a new piece of, by her coming in our journal, New Ideal. We're really excited about that. Yes. We'll come back to that yes. in a minute. So tell us a bit about when yeah, she well, mentioned so, that, in what context. Yeah, so we know that she read him in private and uh, uh, developed a view of his literary virtues. Uh, it so happens that in the year 1958, just after Atlas Shrugged was published, she gave an informal uh, seminar on fiction writing to some of her friends and uh, associates and uh, used Mickey Spillane as an example of good writing. Uh, and she named his, his uh, skills in, in uh, plot structure and setting a scene and so forth. Um, but in that same year, you know, Atlas Shrugged was a, a bestseller and was, as people who are watching this video probably know, is a huge bestseller and, and a novel written on the largest possible canvas, you know, talking about civilization and the future of civilization and what moves the world. This was the, the most uh, dramatic, uh, big picture, intellectual novel of ideas you can imagine. 
And she was nominated for the National Book Award in that year, 1958. And so here she is at a public event with like a hundred uh, reviewers and opinion leaders. And they asked her, who are your favorite writers? And she names four people. She names uh, Dostoevsky, uh, Victor Hugo, O. Henry, and Mickey Spillane. And they, 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 she puts Mickey Spillane in, in the company of those, you know, generally well-respected writers in a way that's sure to shock the audience. And, and uh, um, uh, but the, the point being that she, she used that public platform, really the first one available to her, to, to sing um, uh, Spillane's praises. And, uh, and she continued, uh, well, we're getting ahead ourselves, but that's kind of what led up to. So Mike Wallace was interviewing her there at that uh, National Book Award event. Fast forward three years, that's when the interview happens that you're going to see in a few minutes. Um, just a couple of months before that interview, Spillane and Ayn Rand met for the first time. Uh, they met at a lunch, which was arranged by their publisher, and they thought, well, we'll get together because we know there's some mutual admiration there. Well, it turns out Mickey Spillane had read Atlas Shrugged and Ayn Rand had read Mickey Spillane. And what was supposed to be a brief lunch turned out like six or eight hours. <laughs> and the, the story that you read about it is that uh, they basically closed down this, this Manhattan restaurant for lunch and all the waiters and busboys and everybody were sitting around listening to this conversation back and forth between these two writers. So there was definitely some sparks. They became fast friends. Uh, their friendship uh, didn't, didn't, last forever. Uh, Ayn Rand uh, uh, was always very specific in her opinions about Spillane. She, she identified that which he had mastered and that which he was good at, but she didn't overblow him. She didn't, she didn't say that he was the best writer ever or anything like that. She was very specific in what she found praiseworthy. And some of his later novels, he fell short and she said so. Uh, so she was, again, doing justice to him in public, you know, saying when he deserved praise and withholding praise when it was not deserved. So in the in the interview we're going to premiere momentarily, you can hear her explain her analysis and what she thinks is impressive in Spillane's writing and what and part of and we'll get to some things to listen for. But one thing that struck me listening to it originally uh, a few months ago was that in many cases she is articulating features of Spillane's writing in a way that he himself does not articulate, he can say things about it, but he doesn't quite have the same uh, clarity, I would say, or sort of philosophical depth in terms of his analysis of his own work, which is interesting. And, isn't, and none of this is to disparage Mickey Spillane. It's just, it's interesting to get a philosopher novelist and a novelist or, or a writer as he thinks of yeah. himself and see how they look at each other's work. And just one other thing I, I wanted to mention, so you, you uh, referred to when Ayn Rand discussed Spillane's writing style in the fiction writing course. I believe that fiction writing course is available uh, soon, if not already on our YouTube channel. Uh, but one thing to say is that in her book, Romantic Manifesto, which is where she lays out her theory of art and particularly looking at literature, she discusses him as, a, as an example. She mentions him in one case. She also mentioned, if you to, to your point about her being, uh, taking on this mission of justice she in, when she had a column in the la times one of the columns was about this issue of spillane has virtue 
the intellectual authorities who are in, gatekeepers on this issue, they don't recognize it. And there's something really interesting philosophically there. So she took other opportunities to raise uh, the, the to, to raise Spillane's profile and, and to put it in her terms, not just waving the flag and supporting him, but as you as you put it, I thought really aptly, she's really precise in what she identifies as his virtues, and it's not uh, uh, sort of overblown or oversold uh, praise. So that's one thing to look for in when you listen to the interview coming up. I did want to say one thing before we go on to it, which is uh, we're broadcasting it now for the first time since the 1960s. Uh, and this is publicly in effect. So that's what broadcast is, right? But we, I, I do want to mention that we did share this with a select group of our donors earlier this year as a special um, thank you to them. And I think the, the reaction they had, and uh, that was the first time I heard this interview too, convinced us this is something where we can't just keep it here. We have to make sure it gets to a wide as, uh, as possible audience. So, uh, you know, we're really grateful to our donors who make possible our ability to bring interviews like this to the public and, and put them on our YouTube channel. Um, so I want to just go back to one of the threads. So we were, we're almost halfway through our countdown uh, to remind people we're going to premiere this extraordinary conversation with Mickey Spillane and Ayn Rand, uh, hosted by Mike Wallace. Tell us a little bit about the the perspective Ayn Rand had on the issue of justice uh, and, and where does it fit in her theory, her philosophical view of the world? Yeah, that's why this is interview you're going to hear is so fantastic and so um, it's such a treat because it's really an example, you know, because you can talk about justice in the abstract and giving people what they deserve, but to really do it in real life, this this kind of interview is what it looks like. So. As you listen, you talked about uh, Mickey Spillane. He's not the most articulate guy in the world. I mean, he writes these best-selling uh, uh, books, but he's clearly not uh, uh, an intellectual, and he's certainly not at Ayn Rand's level in any sense. So, but but the interesting thing about that is he's not really able to defend himself. But when Ayn Rand puts into words and articulates what he's doing, he's he's. He's saying, yes, this really does describe what I'm doing. It does pertain to me. And, and it's just such a beautiful example of how the able, the smart, the intelligent can do justice to people who need it. You know, and in this case, Mickey Spillane needed it uh, in the cultural sense. So, um, you know, of course, on a philosophical level, uh, you know, Atlas Shrugged was all about uh, the virtue of justice and she talked at length you know, from a philosophical point of view about what justice means. But when you, when you uh, uh, listen to this interview, um, the, 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 the surface aspect of it is what she's doing for Mickey Spillane, but the, the larger kind of meta aspect of it is what should have been done for Ayn Rand. Ayn Rand is sitting there, she's written two of the greatest novels in world history, The Fountainhead and Atlas Shrugged. And she has gotten very little praise and much disdain from uh, the cultural class, from the literati. Um, plus, and this is something that you'll see in Professor Milgram's article when it comes out in New Ideal, uh, she's quoted as something that was um, uh, from the Ayn Rand archives, uh, uh, a passage that was cut from something Ayn Rand published that really describes the phenomenon of she she would encounter people who 
loved the Fountainhead or loved Atlas Shrugged uh, in private, and they would praise her in private, but they wouldn't stand up in public and defend her and praise her. And that was something that, that it was tremendously unjust and something she struggled to deal with because it was so wrong. Uh, and she struggled to really understand how people could be so wrong. Uh, and, and, you know, the words she has to say about, it, I won't try to summarize, uh, but she, she talks about that. Uh, but in the background here is, and this is not something she said, it's something I'm saying is Ayn Rand is doing for Mickey Spillane what she wishes uh, responsible intellectuals had done for her, which was praise her. Not even necessarily to agree with everything she said or her philosophy, but to identify her literary virtues and, and, and to identify where she went right, uh, you know, even if they didn't agree with her fully. And that just wasn't forthcoming uh, in the four years since between 1957 when Atlas came out and 1961 with its interview came out or, or even beyond that. And she knew it wasn't coming. Now, she did her best to promote her novel, to defend herself, but it's very lonely. Uh, and and uh, the ability to do justice to Mickey Spillane was, I think, uh, and I'm, I'm speculating here, but it was good for her. Uh, I think it must've been good for her psychologically to be able to do that and establish some part of her worldview out there in reality that it is possible to defend uh, the good and give, uh, 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 words for it. So I want to pick up on the theme you you brought up, Tom, which I think is, is really important for people listening to the interview. Just And if we're interested in Ayn Rand's ideas and want to explore more and encourage you to do that if you're new to her. So her view of justice is distinctive. So she, I mean, a lot of people are for justice. Who's against justice, right? I can find me somebody who's against justice. But her, she has a distinctive conception of what justice actually consists in for her it's a moral virtue it's it's central to it's a means of achieving values in the world of finding the people that you want to be around and not being around the people you should they're harmful to you but part of what's distinctive in her view is it should be objective you should judge people evaluate people on the basis of evidence and doing it with as cold a logic or sort of not cold logic but with the same kind of rigor that you would in a courtroom judging evidence like you have to really take it seriously and the other element that's really distinctive, not at all this exhaustive, we're here just to count down to an interview, but I, I couldn't resist making this point. <laughs> the other element that's really distinctive or that I, I want to mention here is, and this goes to your point about Adel Shrugged as a work where justice is a theme. It's a motivation, I think, in her mind of why she wrote the book and part of what the book is trying to do. In her view, it's a lot of people think of justice as, well, you've got to punish the bad people in the world. If you think of the courts, you think of the police, you think of like, lock them up, right? You put, you throw away the key. That is part of justice, no question. But in, in Ayn Rand's mind, a big, and maybe I think arguably this is central to what justice is about, is, in, is identifying the good, rewarding it, speaking up for it. And especially when the good is, is subject to injustice or, or uh, it, to behavior that isn't comparable to what it deserves. In this case, I think if you think of Mickey Spillane as you were describing the story so far, he is someone who in her mind has literary merit. She thinks there's a lot of value in his work as you'll hear in the interview coming up momentarily. 
And she also recognizes that it's the way he's been treated is unjust. And in her mind, she, and this is, I think this is probably what's so revealing about Ayn Rand from this interview and from the other things she's done. It's she's a passionate idealist. Like for her, justice isn't this thing that you do once a year when someone offends you, or if somebody really crosses the line, you, 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 you know, it's, it's an active principle in her thought. And she would be indignant when she sees something that's like the good being badly treated for her is as bad, if not worse than the people who are, who've done wrong, not getting punished. And I think this is really central to, to the way she comes at the world. And it's, it's, it's powerfully illustrated in this, in this, I won't, I'm not going to try to steal any, to preview anything more than that, but just listen to this interview and you'll get how she thinks about the world and why, and how the principle yeah. of justice is just so alive in her thinking. Uh, let me hand it back to you, Tom. I, I know there's a lot of things we want no, to tell people to look for in the interview. Yeah, go ahead. That's a perfect point. I mean, this is, this is a half hour of Ayn Rand doing justice and that's the way to think of it. And your point is exactly one that I, I forgot to make, but I, want to make is it's, most people think about justice as it's like uh, the criminals and you got to punish the criminals and the criminal justice system and all that but or or um, you know god's justice you're going to strike down the sinners uh justice is about identifying the good uh and defending it and you'll notice in this interview how precise ayn rand is so she doesn't deal in broad generalities you know where they're not justified so Mike Wallace starts off the interview with, you know, who do you think is the greatest living writer? And, you know, of course he knows that she's gonna answer with Mickey Spillane, that's why the, <laughs> the interview was set up. But she doesn't just say Mickey Spillane is the greatest ever. She says uh, he's, he's uh, the greatest living writer from the aspect of, okay, so she's from these aspects, originality, imagination, uh, color, sense of drama, plot structure. So these are things that he's good at. She doesn't say he has the best themes or the best ideas. She doesn't compare I, the jury, to Atlas Shrugged in that sense. Uh, but she, you know, where there is something to be praised, uh, she praises it. And it's, it's just very interesting to me to see this intellect, this Ayn Rand is a world-class intellect. I mean, whatever you uh, may, may think of her, you know, I, everybody watching this, uh, video may not uh, adhere to objectivism or regard her with the same esteem that uh, that we do here at the Ayn Rand Institute, but she's clearly a, a genius and a, 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 a kind of a world-class intellectual. But there's never any hint of condescension, of superiority, that she's talking down to anybody. She's talking across and up to, you know, Mickey Spillane as a peer and as somebody she admires. And she says, you know, when she decided to become a writer, why did she want to become a writer? Because she was bored by the folks next door, by the people around her. She wanted to live in a world where there's people she could admire and look up to. And she found that she could create these in, in stories that she would write. And that's why she decided to become a writer for the sake of creating these characters, creating these stories. Um, so, uh, it's just very interesting to see her as a human being here because again, most interviews is just her and the interviewer, but here it's her and a friend and a person that she really has a good relationship with. I'm trying to think of another interview like this and I can't really think of one. So you see her in action kind of what a, a just and uh, objective and 
caring uh, and, and um, uh, you know, invested person, how they, how they deal with uh, Mickey Spillane's need for a, for a defense. So we've been previewing a little of what to listen for. Was interesting sidelights and back behind the scenes aspects of this interview coming up momentarily. I want to just ask you, Tom, for a few things. People, as they listen to this now, what are some things you 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 would suggest that they listen for? Because there's a lot here, and people might end up watching, listening to this a number of times. So I think it's useful to get a few cues just to get the most out of the experience for the first time. What would you suggest? There's, there's two or three things. One is a great line that Mickey Spillane himself has uh, when, when a critic is disdaining him for the fact that like uh, seven of the 10 bestsellers of the 20th century were Mickey Spillane books. And you have to listen for his quip. I won't spoil it. But, uh, you know, he has a way of kind of putting them in their place. Um, the... Um, uh, some of the other things to look at, uh, one of the, th I think the uh, kind of the theme of this behind the scenes broadcast is Ayn Rand on what it takes to be a hero or something like that. She does talk uh, briefly about that and the essence of a hero, of a literary hero. And she talks about how it's a person who acts on his own judgment, who's independent, selects his goals rationally, uh, pursues those goals and is confident of his rightness. So, so look for that. Ayn Rand gets her own philosophy in, in naming essentially what Mike Hammer and John Galt uh, have in common, uh, you know, which is a feat of, of uh, integration because, uh, you know, there's so many differences between them. Um, another thing to listen for is uh, uh, Mike Wallace asks Ayn Rand uh, briefly about the current literary uh, environment. And he talks about having tried to get some other writer, uh, current writer to join them on the, on the stage and couldn't find anybody. And she, he asked Ayn Rand, well, why do you think that is? Well, she knows exactly why. And she launches into an explanation and, and she mentions writers like J.D. Salinger and Tennessee Williams. And she talks about the, you know, the, the cultural atmosphere where the anti-hero uh, is ascendant, where the, uh, the idea that uh, human life is futile and, and uh, we don't know what we're, we're doing. We don't have control. Uh, she talks about the, the idea basically that you go through life like a drunk driver. You don't know what you're doing or where you're going. Um, and, and mentioning Salinger, I have to say, I just recently reread uh, The Catcher in the Rye. And if you look, if you just take Holden Caulfield and put him you know, on a shelf and you put Howard Rourke on one side and, and, uh, or John Galt and, and Mike Hammer with Holden Caulfield. That's all you need to know about the 1950s to know the kind of uh, gulf between the intellectuals and the people uh, that Ayn Rand was struggling to deal with and, and, uh, and struggling to defend uh, both herself and Mickey Spillane. So we're going to count down, we're almost at, at times, before before we wrap up, I'm going to come back to you in just a moment, Tom, if you have any closing thoughts. I just want to encourage people, uh, after they hear the interview that we're about to rebroadcast for the first time in decades since it was originally aired, I want to encourage people to, if you're new to Ayn Rand, you've read only one thing by her, read more, read The Fountainhead, read Adel Shrad, read Anthem, read The Living. All of them are well worth it. And if you 
if you've enjoyed some one of her books, you, you're going to gain so much from uh, reading the rest. And it, particularly from the context of what we're talking about here, which is she, I think one of the things she has in common with Spillane is taking seriously the idea of a hero in fiction that does things, that achieves things, that is, pursu is pursuing deep value. So in my camera, it's maybe it's not conceptualized quite this way, but he's he's concerned with justice as a, as a private investigator. And in Ayn Rand's universe, there's just so many deep values. Everything is is really sort of structured by the perspective on life as as guided by values. So read Ayn Rand, and I, just a couple more things to suggest for you to do: explore her view of uh, literary uh, works from the philosophic perspective. So read the Romantic Manifesto if you want to explore that, deep, and you'll see how she thinks about other authors and, and sort of Ayn Rand as the novelist who has deep views in the philosophy of art. So definitely recommend that. And then just the other piece that we've been referring to, there is a talk by Shoshana Milgram that has been published on our YouTube channel about Mickey Splane, so you're welcome to, to watch that. But there is a forthcoming article that we've been referencing and we've been, we've, I think both of us will say we hugely benefit, benefited from all the research that Dr. Milgram has done and informed our view of this issue. So highly recommend that it's coming in New Ideal soon and we encourage you to take a look. So Tom, uh, before we head over to the interview, any final thoughts? You, you've said it all. I mean, you said it all. It's, uh, I would keep in mind just the issue of justice. And when you, when you stop listening to the interview and think back over it, think about what justice requires in your life or what justice looks like in real life when it's practiced by a giant like Ayn Rand. All right, thanks for joining me, Tom. It's been fun. I always love doing these uh, countdowns with you. So we're about to roll over into the premiere. Stay with us. If you have uh, your settings where they are by default, you'll roll into the interview automatically. Thanks for being here. We hope you'll stick around for the watch party. We'll be with you and we'll, uh, we'll be in the chat. And thanks to all the supporters of the iron industry who make our work possible and who made it possible for us to share with you today this uh, interview with Ayn Rand and Mickey Spillane. Thank you all. Thanks for listening to the Ayn Rand Institute Live podcast. Subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. You can also find us on YouTube. If you like this content, please share or leave us a review. For more information, go to AynRand.org.